This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Hello and welcome to Amazing Grace for another week. I pray you'll be blessed by our program today. My name is Warren and today I'm going to share uh, the gospel with you through uh, stories, songs and uh, so we just pray Lord, uh, we just pray that you will be blessed by the Lord today. Here at Amazing Grace we would love to hear from you. If you have a question for us, would like to make a comment on something that we have said, please don't hesitate to contact us. We've got a couple of free giveaways. We're giving away the book called Steps to Jesus, a wonderful little book uh, about how to get to know him better. We're also looking at the book entitled The Desire of Ages, uh, another book we're giving away, and it's about the life of Jesus, um, and it's taken from the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I know that you would be very blessed um, as you read through that, um, I'm actually going to be reading from both of those books today just to try to give you um, an insight to what these books are like and how the, how good they would be for you in your pursuit of Jesus Christ. All right, friends, um, we'll perhaps just give you the details of how you can get hold of us. You can always contact us through the station. Um, Manawatu People's Radio or you can contact us by email on and the email address is triple nine amazing grace at gmail.com that's nine 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 amazing grace and amazing grace is only one g at gmail.com or you could text or call us on o two seven two two nine Six six two four. That's o two seven two two nine six six two four. All right, friends. Before we start, let's start with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share with the people in the Manawatu and the surrounding areas the the gospel. Uh, Father, we thank you that it, it is good news, and we thank you, Lord, for our listeners, and we pray your blessing upon their lives and their families' lives today. So just speak through me, I pray, as we share today, for I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, friends, um, <clears throat> life with the shepherd. You know, in the Bible, um, it depicts us as being sheep. And Jesus is our shepherd, and the shepherd takes good care of the sheep. 
And so I just wanted to uh, just go through the little story. And, and obviously we're, we're going to quote from Psalms 23 because the Lord is my shepherd and there is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Living like a sheep can bring you incredible peace of mind. The biblical shepherd knew everything about his sheep. He understood what foods were best for them and what would harm them. He knew when they should eat and when they needed their thirst quenched. The shepherd was an expert in the terrain and was aware of the best places for food and water. As long as the sheep trusted and followed their shepherd, they would always have their needs met at the right time. Their shepherd would give them the best that he had. Do you have absolute trust in your good shepherd? Do you value the nourishment that comes from him more than any you might obtain from the world? Do you ever worry that God might be withholding from you something that you need? The psalmist was convinced that he would want for nothing. By his very nature, the good shepherd cares for his sheep and would lay down his life for them. John 10.11 Have you allowed your focus to shift from the shepherd to what the shepherd gives you? If you find yourself wanting, it is not that your shepherd is unable or unwilling to perfectly meet your needs. It may be because you lack the faith to receive all that he has to give. Could it be that you have become dissatisfied with what your shepherd has been providing? Are you missing the joy that comes from having the shepherd who cares for you? Return to him and trust him to meet the needs in your life that only he can. And you see, the shepherd only brings good things into your life that we know. Savior 
Listening to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. All right, in this next segment, we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at the health tip of the week, and we're going to take a little bit of a look at. And I've talked a lot about this because we've talked a lot about dietary fibre. We're going to look at pulses. Uh, you would probably know or have heard them called beans. Um, before, and so we're just going to look at some of these because they are indeed superfoods because of what they do. They prevent cancer. They help with so many other aspects. Um, and when I say they prevent cancer, they help to prevent cancer. So if you eat regularly, eat pulses, you're very unlikely, certainly, to get any type of um, Bowel cancer, colon cancer, all of those types of ones. Um, and <clears throat> so let's just have a look at some of these just so that you know what they are. You've obviously, most of you will have heard of uh, chickpeas um, before, and they are a, they are a bean, uh, a pulse, and there's also lentils, obviously lots of different types of lentils. There's green, brown, red, uh, French, green, and black um, lentils. You know, just making a dish and adding a few lentils to it um, just does wonders. Um, and it adds so much nutrition um, to, to dishes. Also, dried peas are split. Green, split yellow, whole green, and whole yellow. And look, they're wonderful, especially the split ones added to um, added to soups. Um, they thicken them up and they add a lot of nutrition to soups. All right, other types of beans are black-eyed beans, um, adzuzuki beans, black beans, kidney beans. There's two types of kidneys, dark red and light red. Uh, Great Northern uh, Navy Pinto, 
uh, fava, or we would probably call them broad beans, um, small red mung beans. A lot, a lot, of, a lot of Asians eat mung beans, um, very healthy. Lima beans, and they are the ones that that um, are baked beans, uh, lima beans. And ones that I grow in my garden are pink and cranberry uh, beans, and I grow them, um, and they climb, and so I have them in a certain part of my garden. And, uh, yeah, they don't take up much space, and they they really crop well, and they're very, very healthy for you. Um, you can add almost any of these beans to almost any meal. Um, so whether you're making... I don't know, whatever you make, you can just add beans or lentils uh, to what you're making. You know, like if you're making a quiche, you could just add a few lentils. Um, Almost any dish, you could add lentils or beans because they are superfoods. They are really healthy. And um, if you want to have good health, if you want to be regular, if you want – to avoid getting a number of cancers, then that I would really encourage you to look at lentils, beans, and pulses. And uh, so we'll just continue to look perhaps at this particular subject again next week. And uh, so until then, just keep adding those pulses to your dishes.
thank you, Lord. You are my solace. You're listening to Amazing Grace here on Malawatu People's Radio. We want to continue to look at the shepherd today. Comfort from the shepherd. Psalms 23 and verse 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I will fear no danger. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you know, everyone goes through a valley at some stage. It's knowing that you're not alone. As a child of God, you are never alone. Your shepherd is with you at all times. You never have to call him into your situation. You never have to wonder where he is. You never have to fear that if things become too difficult, he will abandon you. He goes before you. He walks beside you. He comes behind you. He protects you securely. Just as he sees every sparrow, knows every hair that is on your head, so his gaze is constantly upon you. Luke 12, 6-7 He comforts you with his strong presence in times of sorrow and grief. He leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. He does not necessarily lead you around the valley, as you might wish. There are times when the shepherd knows that the only way to get you where he wants to take you is to lead you down the path that passes through that dark valley. Yet, at those times, he walks closely with you, reassuring you throughout the journey that he still loves you and is with you. It is during those times that you experience his love and compassion in a deeper dimension than you have ever had before. You never need to fear evil. As intimidating as evil can be, there is nothing you will ever face that intimidates your shepherd. He has seen it all and soundly defeated every form of wickedness. Evil never catches him by surprise. Your shepherd is always prepared and knows exactly when and where you will experience difficulty. Place your absolute trust in your good shepherd that he will protect you and demonstrate his love for you through the darkest valley. And doesn't that give you comfort, friends? 
to know all of those things? You're listening to Amazing Grace here on Two People's Radio. Um, I pray that you've been blessed by our program today. I'm certainly being blessed. Uh, My soul is being watered when I realize um, how much God loves us, how he protects us, how he works in our life. And, you know, the Bible is full of promises, promises that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And if we trust in him, we have nothing to fear. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Welcome back, friends, to Amazing Grace here on Manawatu People's Radio. 
Now, we've been promising for some time, um, and we're going to in this particular segment, in the second half of our program today, we're going to start reading a small section um, each week until we get right through it. Um, it's very short, so it's not going to take too many weeks to read it. Um, it's called Steps to Jesus, a wonderful little book about how to get to know Jesus better. And so the, the first chapter, we may not get through the whole chapter, but um, we will read it for probably 10 minutes and then um, we will stop. So God's love for man is entitled chapter 1. Nature and the Bible both tell us of God's love. Our Father in heaven gives us life, wisdom and joy. Look at the wonderful and beautiful things of nature. Think of the many ways they provide for the needs and happiness of all living creatures. The sunshine and the rain tell of our Creator's love. The hills, seas and plains speak of Him. He supplies the daily needs of every creature. In the beautiful Psalms, David wrote of God, All living things look hopefully to you, and you give them food when they need it. You give them enough and satisfy all their needs. Psalms 145, 15 and 16. God made Adam and Eve perfectly holy and happy. The earth was beautiful as it came from the Creator's hand. Nothing was spoiled or dying. But Adam and Eve disobeyed God's law, his law of love. Disobedience brought sadness and death. Yet God showed his love even when sin was causing suffering. The Bible says that God cursed the ground for the good of human beings. Genesis 3.17 He permitted thorns and weeds to grow. He allowed trials and troubles to fill people's lives with work and care. These troubles were to help lift men and women out of the ruin and shame caused by sin. But this sinful world is not all sorrow and pain. Nature itself gives us messages of hope and comfort. Flowers grow on with the weeds and roses cover the thorns. The fact that God is love is shown by every opening flower and blade of grass. Lovely birds singing their happy songs tell us of God's tender care. The bright flowers that sweeten the air and the tall green trees of the forest remind us that he wants to make us his children happy. The Bible shows us of God's character. God himself has told us of his everlasting love and pity. When Moses prayed, Show me thy glory, the Lord answered, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. Exodus thirty-eight. Sorry, 33, 18 and 19. God's goodness in his glory. The Lord passes before Moses and said, I, the Lord, am a God who is full of compassion and pity, who is not easily angered, and who shows great love and faithfulness. I keep my promise for, for thousands of generations and forgive evil and sin. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. God is always patient, always kind, showing us his constant love. Jonah 4, 2 and Micah seven eighteen. 
God has drawn our hearts to him through various means. Through nature and the deepest and tenderest love the human hearts can know, he has tried to tell us about himself. Yet these do not perfectly show his love. Even though God has given us all these evidences, Satan, the enemy of good, has blinded people's minds so that they look upon God with fear and they think of him as a hard and unforgiving. Satan tries to make people think of God as a severe judge without pity. He says that the Creator is always watching for people to make mistakes so he can punish them. To show them that this is not true, Jesus came to live in this world. He wanted people to see God's infinite love. The Son of God came from heaven to give people a clear picture of the Father. No one has ever seen God, only the Son who is the same as God and is at the Father's side. He has made him known, John 1.18. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. When one of Jesus' disciples said, Show us the Father, Jesus answered, For a long time I have been with you all, yet... You do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Why then do you say, show us the Father? Jesus talked about his work on this earth. He said, the Lord has chosen me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed. Luke 4.18 This was his work. He went about doing good, healing all that were made sick by Satan. There were whole villages where there was not one cry of pain, for he had gone through and healed all the sick. The work of Jesus showed that he was sent from heaven. Love, mercy and pity was shown in every act of his life. His heart was touched with tender love for people. God's Son became a human being so that he could help people. The poorest and humblest were not afraid to come to him. Even little children wanted to be near him. They loved to climb up on his knees and to look into his thoughtful, loving face. Jesus did not keep back one word of truth, but he spoke with love. He was gentle, kind, and thoughtful to others. He was never rude and never spoke more severely than necessary. He never hurt anyone. He did not scold people for their weaknesses. He told the truth, but always in love. He spoke with insincere. He spoke against insincerity and unbelief and sin, but sadness was in his voice when he had to speak sharply. Jesus cried over the city he loved because it would not receive him as the way, the truth, and the life. The people had turned against the Savior, but he looked on them with tender pity. Jesus did not live to please himself, but he had thoughtful care for others. Every person was precious in his sight. He looked with tender love on every member of God's family. He saw all human beings as being people who needed to be saved. The life Jesus lives shows us his character. His life also shows us God's character. 
Rivers of heavenly love flow out from the heart of God to us through his Son, Jesus. The tender, pitying Saviour was God who appeared in human form, 1 Timothy 3.16. It also says in Romans 5.5 that the Holy Spirit pours love into our life as we accept Jesus into our heart. Jesus lived and suffered and died to save us. He became a man of sorrow so that we could share in everlasting joy. God let his dear son leave the glory of heaven and come to a world that was spoiled by sin. He let him come to a world dark with the shadow of death. He let his precious son leave his presence and the worship of the angels. He let him suffer shame, hate and death. But we are all healed by the punishment he suffered, made whole by the blows he received. By his stripes we are healed, the Bible says. And there we will leave it for today.
You're listening to Amazing Grace here on Malawatu People's Radio. So, friends, we're going to be reading from the book entitled The Desire of Ages about the life of Jesus. Um, and today we are looking at the subject, the foreshadowing of the cross. It is chapter 45, and it's taken from Matthew 16, 13 to 28. After Peter's confession, Jesus charged the disciples to tell no man that he was the Christ. This charge was given because of the determined opposition of the scribes and Pharisees. More than this, the people and even the disciples had so false a conception of the Messiah that a public announcement of him would give them no true idea of his character or his work. But day by day he was revealing himself to them as the Saviour, and thus he desired to give them a true conception of, of him as the Messiah. The disciples still expected Christ to reign as a temporal prince. Although he had so long concealed his design, they believed that he would not always remain in poverty and obscurity. The time was near when he would establish his kingdom, that the hatred of the priests and rabbis would never be overcome, that Christ would be rejected by his own nation, condemned as a deceiver and and crucified as a malefactor. Such a thought the disciples had never entertained. But the hour of the power of darkness was drawing on, and Jesus must open to his disciples the conflict before them. He was sad as he anticipated the trial. Hitherto, he had refrained from making known to them anything relative to his suffering and death. In his conversation with Nicodemus, he had said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. John three fourteen to 15 But the disciples did not hear this, and had they heard, would not have understood. But now they had been with Jesus, listening to his words, beholding his works, until notwithstanding the humility of his surroundings and the opposition of the priests and people, they can join in the testimony of Peter. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now the time has come for the veil that hides the future to be withdrawn. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. Speechless with grief and amazement, the disciples listened. Christ had accepted Peter's acknowledgement of him as the Son of God, and now his words pointing to his suffering and death seemed incomprehensible. Peter could not keep silent. He laid hold upon the Master, as if to draw him back from his impending doom, exclaiming, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Peter loved his Lord, but Jesus did not commend him for thus manifesting the desire to shield him from suffering. Peter's words were not such as would be a help and a solace to Jesus in the great trial before him. They were not in harmony with God's purpose of grace towards a lost world, nor with the lesson of self-sacrifice that Jesus had come to teach by his own example. Peter did not desire to see the cross in the work of Christ. The impression which 
his words would make was directly opposed to that which Christ desired to make on the minds of his followers. And the Saviour was moved to utter one of the sternest rebukes that ever fell from his lips. Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offence unto me, for thou savourest not the things of God, but those things that be of man. Satan was trying to discourage Jesus and turn him from his mission. And Peter, in his brined love, was giving voice to the temptation. The prince of evil was the author of the thought. His instigation was behind that impulsive appeal. In the wilderness, Satan had offered Christ the dominion of the world on condition of forsaking the path of humiliation and sacrifice. Now he was presenting the same temptation to the disciple of Christ. He was seeking to fix Peter's gaze upon earthly glory, that he might not behold the cross to which Jesus desired to turn his eyes. And through Peter, Satan was again pressing the temptation upon Jesus. But the Saviour heeded it not. His thought was for his disciple. Satan had him interposed between Peter and his master, that the heart of the disciple might not be touched with the vision of Christ's humiliation for him. The words of Christ were spoken, not to Peter, but to the one who was trying to separate him from his Redeemer. Get thee behind me, Satan. No longer interpose between me and my erring servant. Let me come face to face with Peter, that I might reveal to him the mystery of my love. It was to Peter a bitter lesson, and one that he learnt slowly, that the path of Christ on earth lay through agony and humiliation. The disciples shrank from the fellowship with his Lord in suffering, but in the heat of the furnace fire, he was to learn its blessing. Long afterward, when his active form was bowed with the burden of years of labours, he wrote, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing was happening unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Jesus now explained to his disciples that his own life or self-abnegation was an example of what theirs should be. Calling about him with the disciples, the people who had been lingering near, he said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross was associated with the power of Rome. It was the instrument of the most cruel and humiliating form of death. The lowest criminals were required to bear the cross to the place of execution, and often it was about to be laid on their shoulders, they resist with desperate violence until they were overpowered and the instrument of torture was bound upon them. But Jesus bade his followers take up their cross and bear it after, after him. To the disciples, his words were dimly comprehended, pointed to their submission to the most bitter humiliation, submission even unto death, for the sake of Christ. No more Complete self-surrender could the Saviour's words have pictured. But all this he had accepted for them. Jesus did not count heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. He left the heavenly courts for a life of reproach and insult and a death of shame. 
He who was rich in heaven's priceless treasure became poor that through his poverty we might become rich. We are to follow in the path that he trod. Love for souls for whom Christ died means crucifixion of self. He who was a child of God should henceforth look unto himself as a link in the chain let down to save the world, one with Christ in his plan of mercy, going forth with him to seek and save the lost. The Christian is to ever realize that he has consecrated himself to God and that in character he is to reveal Christ to the world. The self-sacrifice, the sympathy, the love manifested in the life of Christ are to be to repeal in the life of the workers for God. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. Selfishness is death. No organ of the body could live to confine its service to itself. The heart, failing to send its lifeblood to the hand and the head, would quickly lose its power. As our lifeblood, so is the love of Christ, diffused through every part of his mystical body. We are members one of another, and the soul that refuses to impart will perish. And what is a man profited, said Jesus, if he shall gain the whole world? And lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Beyond the poverty and the humiliation of the present, he pointed the disciples to the coming in glory, not in the splendor of an earthly throne, but of the glory of God and the hosts of heaven. And then he said, He shall reward every man according to his works. Then for their encouragement, He gave the promise, Verily I say unto you, There be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. But the disciples did not comprehend his words. The glory seemed far away. Their eyes were fixed upon the nearer view, the earthly life of poverty, humiliation, and suffering. Must must their glowing expectation of the Messiah's kingdom be relinquished? Were they not to see the Lord exalted to the throne of David? Could it be that Christ was to live a humble, homeless wanderer, to be despised, rejected, and put to death? Sadness oppressed their hearts, for they loved their master. Doubt also harassed their minds, for it seemed incomprehensible that the Son of God should should be subjected to such cruel humiliation. They questioned why he should voluntarily go to Jerusalem to meet the treatment which he had told them he was to receive. How could he resign himself to such a fate and leave them in greater darkness than that in which they were groping before he revealed himself to them? In the region of Caesarea Philippi, Christ was out of the reach of Herod and Caiaphas, The disciples reasoned. He had nothing to fear from the hatred of the Jews or from the power of the Romans. Why not work there at a distance from the Pharisees? Why need he give himself up to death? If he was to die, how was it that (coughs) 
<laughs> his kingdom <coughs> was to be established so firmly that the gates of hell should not prevail against it. <coughs> Excuse me. To the disciples, this seemed indeed a mystery. They were now journeying along the shores of the Sea of Galilee towards the city where all their hopes would be crushed. They dared to not remonstrate with Christ, but they talked together in a low, sorrowful tones in regard to what the future would be. Even amid their questionings, they clung to the thought that some unforeseen circumstance might avert the doom which seemed to await their Lord. Thus, they sorrowed and doubted, hoped and feared for six long, gloomy days. Friends, we need to trust in the Lord and his word. He has a path for our feet. It's not the one that we would always choose. We would choose the path of least resistance. But the Lord has promised that he will be with you as you go through the valley. Friends, let's just finish in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity to share with the people here in the Manawatu and the surrounding regions and pray, Lord, for your blessing upon the listeners and their families. We thank you for the gospel, for it brings freedom to a person. It sets us free. It gives us peace and joy and love, the unconditional love that only you can give, Father. So, Father, I just pray that uh, each person will turn to you uh, they will turn to the, sh- the good shepherd and they will put their life in his hands is my prayer for each person today asking this in Jesus name Amen From all of us here at Amazing Grace we, p- we pray that you will grow in grace May the love of the Father the grace of the Lord Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.